Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio. We talk with midlife learners about their educational journey, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school, work, family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. This show is all about how to be a midlife learner and not suffer a midlife crisis. It chronicles my journey back to the classroom after over 20 years. We're thrilled to have Norquest College on board to support the show with amazing space, people, and resources. We're also excited to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network and join the many other talented folks in this province making brilliant audio content. So here we are at the beginning of my back to school journey. But in order to get to this place, I want to take you back to August 2016. I was working at an amazing community radio station. It was a special place, and I was so fortunate to call it home and to build a career there that allowed me to rise to a very senior management level in the organization. In fact, I was being groomed to be the next CEO. But a funny thing happened on the way to the corner office. I'd been so busy trying to achieve the next goal that I hadn't really stopped to ask myself if this is what I really wanted. Now that it was about to happen, I was forced to do some major soul searching. Was this really what I wanted to do next? I'd been here close to a decade, which for me was a super long time. I'd only planned to stay a couple of years, but I literally fell in love with the place and the people. I knew that stepping up meant a commitment, and not just a year or two. This place deserves someone who could make a five-year commitment to lead the organization. And it was a shock to me and to everyone, when I decided that wasn't me. In fact, not only was this not the right next step for me, but in order to really grow as a person, it was time to leave. And it was really hard to leave. I've left jobs before, and while there's always a level of discomfort, it's not that hard to leave something you don't like or enjoy. But this was a place I loved. Also, I had no idea where I was going, I wasn't signing on to another organization. I just knew in my heart it was time to move on. It was a long goodbye. It took the better part of a year to find the new CEO, but we found the right person, and I was able to go knowing that things would be in great hands. And while it was still tough, that made it easier to move on. But now I had to figure out what was next for me, and a big part of exploring that question was deciding to go back to school. I have an undergrad in business with a major in marketing, and for years I thought about doing a master's. I looked at MBA programs, but nothing felt quite right, so I started looking at other options. One that really spoke to me was the Master of Arts in Communications and Technology at the University of Alberta, otherwise known as the MACT program. It's a part-time program through extension, which I love because you can continue working while taking the program, and elements in the program particularly how digital technology is impacting the ways we communicate and interact with each other, both personally and organizationally. It just felt very timely. We're living through this huge digital disruption. Working in media, it was personal. I saw so many colleagues and friends lose their jobs as traditional business media models became irrelevant. And at the same time, new forms of media, such as podcasting, were coming online and allowing more people than ever before to have a voice. It's been interesting and disturbing to watch the wave of disruption wash over other industries, and in order to help make sense of it all, 
I wanted to spend some time unpacking these issues in an academic setting. So that's what compelled me to sign up for this two-year process. I have to admit, though, it's been a little scary going back to school at midlife. I'm well into my 40s, and while I have spent time in the classroom in the last few years, it's been as a teacher, not a student. So the idea of being in student mode, of the reading, the writing, being graded, it was all a little overwhelming. There was a sense of wondering, will I be able to keep up with everyone else, who I assumed were younger, smarter, better, more equipped to deal with the rigors of academia? It's so strange trying to explain it, but it was a real fear, and it hasn't completely gone away, even though I've made it through my first couple of courses. And that's what inspired me to take on this podcast. By talking to other midlife learners who are either on the journey or who've recently completed it, I'm hoping to find my tribe and also inspire those of you who are thinking about this journey for yourself. By sharing our stories, we can learn from each other, encourage each other, and help each other. So what's it like to go back to grad school when you haven't opened a textbook in quite a while? With me are some of my cohort from the Master of Arts in Communications and Technology program at the University of Alberta to share their experiences of what's formerly called Spring Institute, but I've been calling Academic Boot Camp. A grueling three weeks of coursework, group work, readings, essays, and presentations. If you make it out alive, you're apparently golden for the rest of the program, or so I've been told. I'm sitting at the epicenter of a very cool new place in downtown Edmonton, Norquest College's new innovation studio. It's a place where business, industry, and community partners are working alongside students and researchers. Together, they're exploring training opportunities to address industry skills gaps and other solutions to solve today's business challenges. Now, the Innovation Studio, it kind of feels like a really cool tech firm. Open spaces, bright colors, comfy furniture. There's an experimental classroom, a range of meeting rooms, and a very sweet recording studio, which is where I'm sitting right now, and where we'll be recording our first season of the Back to School Again podcast. I've worked in a lot of radio stations, and I have to say, this studio rivals something you might find in a professional radio station. If you're going to innovate, you need to experiment. And the new innovation studio, it's all about experimentation, teaching and learning, social innovation, research projects with the community. There's also partnerships with industry through their business development team and corporate training opportunities. There is a lot going on here at Norquest, and you can find out more at norquest.ca. Now back to our show. Hi, I'm Callie Vitala, and I'm part of the 2018 MACT cohort. Um, I took the course with Katrina and our fellow guest, Jane. And the reason I decided to come back to school was because I was at that point in my career where I just felt like I needed new challenges, and this This program looks at social media and technology and all the things that I find really interesting about being a a communications professional, and so I took the jump. Super. And what about you, Jane? My name is Jane Duffy, and I, too, am a member of the MACT cohort for 2018. I've been a professional librarian, Katrina, for uh, over two decades now, and uh, I'm a specialist in science and engineering librarianship. And I've just been amazed uh, over this period of time, particularly acute in the last five years, by how the needs of students have changed 
in uh, science and engineering uh, university courses. Previously, they were very happy to uh, come to me in person and ask for a book or a journal. Sometimes, you know, the very boldest ones would ask for some grade literature, some trade literature, and that, you know, I would deliver that to them and they would be very happy. But as I said, in the last five years, the needs have changed and I'm finding myself uh, challenged to keep up with their savvy uh, as far as the evolving uh, literature in science and technology, their needs to not only get copies of research, but also to engage with it, learn it, and work within you know an evolving community of science, uh, academic community, in order to start delivering themselves and contributing. So I'm in this program to learn the skills in communication and technology so that I can deliver what increasingly the students need. That's wonderful. I couldn't agree with you more. We've seen so much change in the last five years. I want to thank you both for being here today. And I want to take you back, way back to that first Sunday afternoon. We had a little informal mixer that afternoon before we started the program. And it was just a chance to meet everyone. And I'm wondering what was going through your mind at that point when you first met our cohort members? Well, when I walked in to that mixer, I... um. I, I was I was alone. I didn't know anyone. And I found my way to this table of people that were laughing and talking. And I thought, oh, you know, I can just blend in with them. They turned out to be the second year people, the 2017 cohort. So um, I was introduced to to my my own group uh, through through one of them. Um, what went through my mind was, you know, how intelligent everybody looked and how youthful. And uh, I was wondering how, you know, how am I going to, to blend in? Will I be able to keep up? But I was encouraged by the positive energy and the willingness to sort of build a team. And um, so I was excited more than I was nervous. That's by the great. End. What about you, Kelly? Um, yeah, as is kind of typical for me. When I first got to the Enterprise Building, I had no idea where to go. <laughs> and luckily ran into one of our fellow classmates. And both of us wandered around until we found, um, you know, the correct room. And in, in between, we got to know each other and chat a little bit, which was great. And then when I got into the room, um, yeah, as, as Jane mentioned, people were laughing and talking. And it was just a really like high energy group of people. You could tell that just by walking in and everybody was really excited to be there. And then once I started talking to people, I was really impressed by sort of the range of backgrounds and diversity. There were sort of foreign students, people from Mexico and Kenya, but there were also people from media backgrounds like you and I, or um, people from corporate communications. There was just a huge range of people with backgrounds. So I really looked forward to kind of getting there experience in terms of learning, you know, and how that informed the material we'd be looking at. So it was really good. Absolutely. I had a similar experience. I was wandering around the building and I ran into another member of our cohort, one of the younger members of our cohort. And I was thinking, man, is everyone going to be this young? Um, I was feeling a little old at that point. And I, I walked into the room and I, I realized that we actually had quite a range of people in the program. And so I felt a lot more comfortable after that. 
Yeah, and you know, and that was one of the things that I liked too was there was a range in terms of age and experience because there were there were people who were right out of school, but then there were people like us who had been in the workforce for a decade or two or whatever. Um, and so that was really helpful too, yeah. Absolutely. Now we're going to dig in and talk about Spring Institute, which sounds totally innocent, but to paint a picture <laughs> for our listeners, this is three weeks of very intense study where you take a course that normally runs over 13 weeks and you cram it into three weeks, and then you multiply that by two, so two courses in three weeks. It's super intense. What, if anything, did you know about Spring Institute going into that experience? Were you at all prepared for the intensity of the program? I had an intellectual notion of it because I've known a couple of people from my former workplace, the city of Edmonton, who had taken the program. And they told me those three weeks are a lot of work. You know, it's they're going to run you ragged. So I had I knew I sort of coming in, I knew that it was going to be a lot of work, but I had no idea of sort of the intensity of it, and also how committed I'd be to it, you know, because I, because I was kind of like, oh, well, if I can just get walking in, if I can just get through this three weeks, it's going to be fine. But then I found, despite the fact that, you know, we were living on two or three hours of sleep a night for three weeks, um, I really wanted to learn the material. And I was so engaged in it. And I just, you know, and it didn't seem like a hard, I mean, it was hard, but it didn't seem like a hardship to sacrifice a few hours of sleep and your social life for three weeks. <laughs> Jane, how about you? Well, a librarian's social life can be easily disrupted. <laughs> I, it did not suffer a setback. I can, I can say that. But no, like, like Callie, uh, I, I was aware that it would be three weeks of intensive work and you know, all day long in a classroom. And uh, I, what I wasn't prepared for was the evening work, the the amount of homework and the number of postings. And at first I, I was thinking, how am I going to, you know, do this sit still all day? Um, and then at, at night go home and sit some more and do some more writing. What I, f- what I found and and you know, once I got pushed past the the fear and the nervousness uh, the first week, what I found was really surprising. I was actually making uh, making a community, building a tribe, as you said, Katrina. I was participating in this online community. We were posting articles and and ideas about our readings and our assignments. And I was looking at the the board and. I'd be posting late at night, and then I'd go to check, and I'd see someone else say, Callie, or or you, Katrina, would be posting at the same time. And I actually started feeling a bond. Here we were, you know, uh, we'd spend all day together. Now we're spending our evenings together, and we must also, you know, be feeling a lot of the same things. So I got over the, you know, the, the fear and... Um, um, just just uh, found myself enjoying the work. And I was really sad when the three weeks were over. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure if sad's the word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the process, absolutely. I think it was exhaustion that I was feeling, um, which kind of leads me to my, my next question. You know, there were several points in the program where I, I hit this wall just mentally and, and physically. And I remember this one time sitting in class. It was in the afternoon. You should never have a class in the afternoon, but we had classes in the afternoon. 
And I just, I felt sick. Like I felt dizzy. I couldn't concentrate. I felt like I was going to throw up. And I was just trying to hold on until we got to our afternoon coffee break to push through. And there were a couple of moments like that in the program for me. And I, I'm wondering about you guys. Did you guys have any of those hit yes. the wall moments? Absolutely. Yes. You know, and it's, I, I should probably have mentioned that, you know, I was giving the overall summary, but I had, I had some moments where, you know, I was kind of blanking out and I'd feel a little bit frustrated because, you know, of course, I'm the only one who was feeling maybe challenged or insecure, you know, and I'd look around and frequently at you, Katrina, and you, Callie, and I said, oh, they look so composed. I guess they're just fine. So I might as well try harder to be fine, too. It was a lie. <laughs> totally it was fake. Those, those coffee breaks were really good, though, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I didn't have any specific incidents like that. But I found that each week I'd be like, if I can just get through this week, it'll be better. But then the next week there was more work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then it will be like, eat. next week, I get, and luckily it was only three weeks. So, you know, I don't think I could have sustained that indefinitely, but I knew there was an end point in sight. But I mean, really, the thing that kept me going, and I think a lot of us, was just how supportive the group was. We had a really good group of people. They weren't competitive. I mean, everybody wants to do well, but it's not like we were competing with each other. Everybody was very supportive, and you could tell that everyone was struggling in the same ways that you were. So it was like a big support group in a lot of ways. So for me, that really helped sort of get me through some of the tough spots, you know? That's a really good point. And I, I've heard that uh, we were very fortunate in that our cohort really did gel very well. I, I don't think that happens all the time. And I think I it that. can, yeah, I think it can make an experience like that even tougher if you're not feeling the support from everyone else. I'm wondering though, were there any specific things that you did for yourself, some self-care things that you might have done during those three weeks just to kind of keep yourself physically and emotionally sustained during the program? Besides drinking lots of coffee, I think that was one of our, our common strategies that we had. It was my birthday during that, so I took one night off. (laughs) (laughs) Initially, I was like, you know, let's just wait till it's over and then go out. But then I thought, no, you know what, I need a night out. So I did take a night off. And then I, you know, on the weekends, I didn't, like, I, I would sleep in and try and catch up a little bit on the sleep. I thought because I needed it, like I couldn't function at that, you know, by Friday, like I was just like, oh, my God. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in that sense, but then, you know, you get up, you shower, get dressed, whatever, and then you're back at it. So, but I I felt like sleeping in on Saturdays and Sundays was a major indulgence. (laughs) I I did the same thing too. Yeah. I'm a baby boomer. Just going to say I'm a little bit older than my two colleagues here. I think we're Gen Xers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a baby boomer. So I wasn't able to do the going on two or three hours of sleep. I couldn't do that. How I managed was after the class was finished. I would get on my bus and go home. I would walk my little dog. I'd uh, feed my cats. I would um, try and have a good dinner, try something nourishing, and drink my green juice. And then, um, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm also a religious person. I would say my prayers and I would go to bed. And I was going to bed at like seven or eight at night. So when I say you know, building community in the middle of the night. I meant it. Mm-hmm. I would wake up at 2.30 or 3 and just start to do my posts. And I'd see these people also working through the night. It was really, really neat. So I had to do that little bit of extra self-care and 
try for the minimum of six hours a night just to just to function well. Right. right. Those are great strategies, Jane. And, and I'm with you on the healthy eating because I feel like if I don't have my health, then it, it doesn't matter. I, I can't. I, there's no way I could function. So I made a point of trying to choose the healthier options for lunch, for example, and making sure I had a good dinner and just kind of feeding myself and staying nourished through the process. Um, in terms of balance, we talked a little bit about um, home and school. Was, was there any balance for you between uh, your home life and your personal life while we were going through this process, or did that just get thrown out the window? Yeah, for me, I mean, there wasn't really any. But then I'm also I'm very aware of how sort of lucky I am that I didn't have kids to take care of when I went home. You know, so many people in the course did, and honestly, I don't know how they managed because there's me and my cat. And, you know, I was like, if I could pay her, her a little, it sounds like such a cliche, right? Oh. <laughs> but yeah, if I could pay her a little bit of attention, that was as much as I could manage at that point. So, so yeah, there was really no balance. And I did, you know, I did have to let my social sort of life go completely. But again, I knew it was only three weeks, so it was, it was doable. Um, you know, and I think that really sort of the fact that it's so contained really helped most of us kind of get through it. Well, I, I had to take a little uh, break from my job, too, and I found it very difficult to not, you know, follow up on email and to let, you know, people cover for me. Um, it was something I, I had to learn uh, to do, and it was it was hard to let go of that full-time job and those responsibilities, but it helped me. Yeah, and that's one thing they, they tell you when you go into the program, don't attempt to try and work during this time. You need to be focused on the program. And I really understand why they give us that advice, having gone through the program. I think for me, I, I felt really guilty because the laundry was piling up, the dishes were piling up. I was ignoring my husband. We're, we'd be in the same room, but I was so focused on my textbook or on the computer or writing something. I just basically ignored him for three weeks. But thankfully, it was only three weeks. I think, um, as you say, if it had been long, Longer, I don't think I could continue on at that pace. Um, but I think they're aware of that when they structure it, right? They know it's three weeks and it's super intense. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think if it had been longer, it, they would have changed the structure of the course. Um, and I also I kind of appreciate that now because it is like you talked about it being boot camp, but it's like being in the trenches. So you really bond with the people who are struggling along with you, you know. So in that I think there are reasons for the for why they do it the way they do. And, and it seems to work, at least it did for our group, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you're right. You're, that analogy of being in the trenches, I think is a great one. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about where we're at today. But I'm seeing some of the benefits of having gone through that experience in terms of what we're now experiencing with some of our online work. I think it's fair to say that three of us have been in the workforce for quite a long time. And we haven't been in a formal post-secondary program for a good number of years. So I had a lot of anxiety about going back to school um, as someone who's a little bit older. What about you guys? Were there any moments of self-doubt or concerns? Or was that just not an issue for you? It was an issue for me. I, um, you know, I, I work in a, in a university. And you know, my role is to help students and to instruct and to teach and be the expert. And walking into a cohort, you know, where many, well, I, I was the oldest, I am the oldest, I believe, in the cohort, where, you know, so many are so much younger and just have an awareness and expertise with technology and communication. Right, and it's it's really that feeling of, of anxiety, of, of being a little bit older, oh, yeah. going back to the classroom after not having been in their classroom for quite a while. Here's what I want to say. 
I really struggled. I, I did have to ask for help with some of the apps that we were supposed to use. I um, was very embarrassed to have to ask people so much younger than me to do some very simple things. And they were so gracious and so nice. And, you know, I didn't make me feel embarrassed or, you know, unskilled at all. And it was a real delight. And it helped cut down on the anxiety I felt the more I engaged with people in that way. So, Yeah, I mean, I had, I had a ton of anxiety in terms of the material again, because it had been so long since I'd read anything longer than 500 words. I mean, my background is journalism, and that's kind of what you do. And then the rest of my spare time these days is spent on Twitter. So <laughs> anything over 140 characters and my concentration kind of wanders. And I'm still struggling with that, actually. Like, you know, But it's it's been really good for me um, to discipline myself to, again, sit down and read academic texts and, and things that have a bit more meat than just sort of you know, your pyramid or your fluffy stuff that you find online or whatever. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty sure I used to be smarter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it doesn't help when your first reading is Aristotle. Yes. Uh, So so there's that as well. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, that was just a little overwhelming. And and I I was at that point wondering, I don't know if I can do this. So I'm really glad that I I was able to push through, though, because um, I think there, you know, there's been a lot of benefits as well from this process. We've been talking a little bit about the negatives, but we'll get into some of the positives. But first, Jane, I want to dig into how things have changed since you first started working as a librarian. And I know that you mentioned that's one of the reasons you decided to take the MAC program. So tell me a bit more about that. Well, scholarly communication, when I started as a university librarian, was very sedate, you know, at a very slow pace. You know, material would be written, uh, experiments conducted, uh, papers written, and they would go through a six to eight month peer review process and then a four-month publication process, and then publish in a journal, and then the library would order the journal, and it would go on the shelf. And the role of the librarian was to help the students access that material, for science students access the material, find that, and, and read it now. Just the explosion in science and technology, like STEM, experimentation, day-to-day work, they work as a community. You know, no one writes papers by themselves in isolation anymore. Um, Experiments are conducted. They are almost immediately tested in real time. Why? Because the information's available. They're not just, you know, in journal form. Uh, But they're publishing preprints and postprints. And authors are always going back and forth and retesting, revising. So... Science is more a process than it used to be, much more. And for science and engineering students, accessing this material at critical points um, is increasingly challenging. So um, my job is to you know, go into some very non-traditional resources where I used to just go to a shelf and find a volume. Uh, now I'm digging around online. I'm going into preprint servers. I'm contacting uh, labs, um, uh, looking for first authors to provide, you know, drafts of first results of an experiment for students. And I'm finding that from day to day, answers to questions will vary depending on where and how uh, science experimentation 
and um, a scholarship is, is being conducted. It's a process now. It's really interesting to hear you talk about the immediacy of information and the the need to kind of get information as it's happening, almost in real time, getting access to that information. And I imagine that has to be one of the challenges, especially for the engineering and science students that you work with. What do you see as some of the other challenges for students in general in, in post-secondary programs today? Well, I'm finding, especially with science and technology students, we have more and more new Canadians and international students. Their needs are very particular. Um, and uh, it's, it's critical for me uh, to be on my game and to serve, uh, to serve this particular group of students. So um, not only do I find information for them, but because for the majority of the, the group that are in science and engineering, English is a second language. So I'm finding that uh, I am also helping them prepare papers and prepare their own communications so that the dissemination of the results of their own work can make a contribution. And I find with international students and new Canadians, it's that making a contribution that is critical. And that is what I see. Um, that's where my passion is to, you know, advance that, that contribution uh, helping from from behind the scenes, uh, supporting uh, information uh, discovery and information creation and dissemination. That's wonderful. And I think a very expansive role for you, maybe not what we might typically think is, is the role of a librarian. Kelly, I want to ask you, uh, as someone who's come out of the media world, um, you and I have both seen a lot of change in our industry. And that's one of the reasons I'm back in school. Can you tell me a bit more about your experience as a journalist in relation to digital disruption and how that's taken place in the media? Well, my background is started in journalism. I went to Ryerson to the graduate program there in Toronto and then stayed and worked at a variety of media in Toronto. I worked for the um, Toronto Bureau of the New York Times when the Times had a bureau <laughs> in Toronto. <laughs> they don't anymore. Um, then I worked at TV Ontario and I worked at CBC Radio and CBC TV. So I've sort of worked across the range in term, and I've done quite a bit of freelancing too. So... Um, Having said that, yeah, the disruption is absolutely the correct word for what's happened to our industry in the last 20 years. But I think the thing that I've noticed the most is sort of how to put this so that it doesn't, doesn't sound negative, but sort of the devaluation of expertise in, in our field. Um, for example, when I started at TVO, that was my sort of first experience with television. You, to do even a two-minute field piece, you had a sound man, you had a cameraman, you had an editor, you had a producer, you had a host. And these days, we call them predators. And they're producers who go out, they shoot their own stuff, they edit their own stuff. If there's a host, they shoot that too. <laughs> so everything has just collapsed into one position. And I think what happens is then the quality decreases because... I probably, I don't have nearly, like if something goes wrong, I have no idea what to do. I know the basics of how to shoot something and how to edit it, but I don't have the expertise that our technicians used to have. But, you know, the, the number of people who are technicians now, just there's decreasing because everybody thinks everyone, you know, the management of these big media conglomerates, you know, there's also the whole collapsing of independent news outlets, but it, that's a different issue altogether. But the point is that there's a decrease in expertise. So me, as a con I'm a good storyteller, but I'm not a great camera person. 
So when I'm, but now I, my, my focus is split when I'm doing a video piece, right? And so I do think there's been a decrease in quality in that way too. But on the flip side, there's also a decrease in expectation from the audience, right? right. Because now they're used to seeing stuff on YouTube, so they don't expect broad, broadcast quality when they're watching CNN anymore. They're happy to watch some guy sitting <laughs> in some room with Skype. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's like one big selfie. You know, you're, yeah, you're yeah. the host and you're videoing it and you're, you you're do just doing the, right? this thing. You know? and, and we're okay with that in our society. Well, we don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think because it comes down to audience ex expectation, right? And I remember when I was first at CBC Radio, they had this committee, sound quality committee, you know, and so they would listen to every broadcast and if there was like fuzziness in the background and there was always a big push to get people into the studio you didn't want them on the phone because the quali sound quality was better now if someone is more than five miles away from this downtown toronto studio you just get them on the phone because you don't have to pay 40 bucks to get them in from mississauga in a taxi right yeah so those kinds of issues are there and i think the the other thing that i've observed with i mean and then there's the whole issue of freelancing and the rates going down and you know when i started in if you did a magazine piece, it was a dollar a word. And it had been a dollar a word for like 30 or 40 years, and people complained about it. But now, most of those magazines are dead, for starters. Writing for HuffPost, if you get 30 cents a word, you're lucky. Right. You know, so, so there's that aspect of it, too. And then everybody can be a storyteller or a journalist, which is fine. That's good. Citizen journal journalism is good, and it eradicates sort of the gatekeepers. But at the same time, what happens is there is no one doing the fact-checking. There is no one saying this is true or this is false. And what this has led to is this whole fake news phenomenon, right? Not Trump's version of fake news, but actual fake news. Mm -hmm. Because anyone can post anything, and if there's no one there to double-check it and verify it and say this is true or not true, then the audiences, um, like people stop believing anything, right? Mm -hmm. Or they believe everything, or they only believe what they want to believe. Because there's no one there now saying, well, this is verifiable. I mean, I shouldn't say there's no one there. Obviously, you still have CBC and New York Times and whatever who are doing good, solid journalism. But most people don't know the difference, you know? Yeah. You know what struck me? Um, in, our, in our cohort, there are a number of people who used to be journalists. Yeah. And now they are doing something else. Um, in some cases, that's teaching at a university. In other cases, it's making a bigger career transition. I know that you're in the midst of career transition, like myself. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, do you have any insights into that process as a result of taking this first part of the program? I started in journalism, and then four years ago, I sort of moved into the corporate world for family reasons. I moved from Toronto to Edmonton to be closer to my family and there were some health issues and what have you. So, you know, so I did corporate communications for a little while too. And which is a completely different world altogether. The mindset is different. It was really a great learning experience and challenging. I think I'm looking for something completely different. <laughs> I think the, the, you know, and I kind of had this insight coming into the, because I think I was looking at the program as a way to, to explore what else is out there and find out what else I can do with the skills that I have. And I'm still primarily a storyteller, that's where my interest lies, but at the same time, over the years, I have sort of found myself being envious of the people doing the actual work as opposed to being, and, and wanting to, to do that frontline work as opposed to being the person who talk, talks to the people who do the frontline work. Not that there isn't value in that, there's huge value in telling those stories and getting that information out there, 
But I think I would like, so I'm looking more towards development work and that kind of thing. But again, I'm still a little bit in transition and I'm, I'm actually kind of happy to just take my time and figure it out slowly. And this program is going to give me, you know, uh, sort of the ability to, to do that, you know, take time to just kind of breathe instead of just going pedal to the metal as I have been for two decades almost. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm in a similar place myself, and it's great to have that time and space just to uh, to really think about what you want to do next. Um, I promised we were going to talk about positive things. So Jane, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what was the most positive thing about this whole experience for you? I discovered that I could write 800 words of content a day for three straight weeks. I didn't think I would be able to do it. I... Um, I teach writing, but I, um, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I, I, as I shared earlier, I was so scared when I started the program, the expectations for independent posting night after night. I was thinking, how could I put something together and publish it online? And I, I found, you know, encouraged by the work of others and seeing other people uh, doing a wonderful job. Um, I discovered that I could actually do that. That's wonderful. And that, that's quite a lot. And I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, yeah, you're, you're both nodding. So, you know, I, yeah, you were, you were doing it too. Yeah. What about you, Callie? I think I, I just sort of, it's so good to feel my mind expanding again. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Um, you know, just to be able to think about what we do in a theoretical way and sort of look at the craft, you know, and just, and, and look at how technology is changing how we communicate and how people receive that communication. You know, people's thinking is changing as they absorb information now. And I'm really interested in exploring what's happening here, good or bad, regard, you know, whether you, everyone makes judgments on these things, but I'm really interested in exploring that. And again, you know, being able to read more than 500 words at a time. <laughs> It seems like a little thing, but, you know, it makes a difference. Absolutely. So. And I, too, I really enjoyed the course content, but I even more enjoyed the people. Yeah. And so meeting great folks like you guys and the rest of our cohort and really bonding with them. And and for me, that was the most positive thing uh, that's come out of, of Spring Institute. And I, I just, uh, I see that we're going to go on this great journey together. And I'm really excited about that. Was there anything that surprised you that you want to share about this process so far? I think I was just surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Like, I mean, I was I was interested in the subject matter when I came in, but it felt so good to feel really engaged again and to just really care. Not that I didn't care before, but in a different way. You know what I mean? Just, again, it comes back to that sort of purely intellectual pursuit of looking at what we do in in a theoretical and a philosophical way, and even even going back to Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, like like that that was really exciting to me because it sort of put us into a community of communicators, right? That goes back centuries. <laughs> so I don't know. I just I was really surprised by how engaging I found the information and and the material that we studied, especially the social media stuff. That stuff is fascinating. I really enjoyed the social media stuff as well, and. I was, I was really surprised by how, I'm going to use the word attached. I became to the people mm -hmm. in in my in my cohort, and um, I'm I'm. It was really difficult work, but uh, I was surprised at at how I'm going to say again sad I felt when it was over, um, 
And strangely, I'm looking forward to our next Spring Institute coming yeah. in the May. Right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, we are doing some more work in between. I'm yeah. going to segue into that uh, question. We're now in this world of online learning. So this is a bit different than the boot camp that we came through. How's that been going for you? I've really missed the classroom aspect of it. Despite the fact that you're sitting there for, what was it, six hours a day or whatever mm-hmm. it was, I'm missing that. Like, I, I'm finding it much harder to be disciplined because you kind of have your own schedule and you're just doing, you know, things, other things at the same time. So, and I'm missing, you know, even though we have the uh, the, the postings component where we're, there's some interaction, it's not the same as being there in person and talking to people and sort of having little study groups or however we do, or just even just having coffee and complaining about this, that, and everything else. <laughs> so I'm really missing that component of it. But having said that, you know, it, it, I think it's a question of getting used to the way it's done because it's just a different way of learning. I think we're in our second week now, so it's getting a little better. I'm hoping by the third week <laughs> that I'll have some kind of rhythm going. <laughs> I'd echo what, what Callie said. I, uh, I, I miss seeing people yeah. during the day, and I'm, I'm finding the online readings very interesting for this particular course. And uh, I'm enjoying, I can almost hear people's voices mm-hmm. in their posting, and I'm, I'm starting to, I'm recognizing and seeing evidence of personality <laughs> that, uh, that I became so enchanted by during the Spring Institute. So it was good to have that first yeah, absolutely. Um, would you agree? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, because you know, not all the people in our online courses, but over half of them were in our Spring, spring Institute. It really helps to know the people behind the postings. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm picking up on that, too. Like, I can just hear that person and their their intonation of how they're communicating their message. And I think what's been interesting is, as Kelly, as you mentioned, there's some folks that are now in the online courses that weren't in our cohort. And I don't feel like I know them as much. I'm trying to get to know them through mm-hmm. their posting. But it's a really different process than just having spent three weeks with them in a, in a really uh, kind of a grueling setting and getting through something together. There's a different level of bonding that happens when you go through that. Right. I want to ask you guys, what advice do you have for our listeners who might be thinking about starting their own journeys back to the classroom? What would you say to them? I'd say just do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, people, people don't know what they can do until they do it. You know what I mean? And yes, it's intimidating. And especially when you hear all the stories of, oh, you're going to be working 20 hours a day and this and that, whatever. But you know what? People can do what they need to do. As I said, I don't have kids, so I didn't have that aspect of it. But I saw the people who had kids who then figured out a way to do it. So if it's something that you really want and something you're interested in, if you want to find, if you're feeling stagnant in your career right now or whatever your reasons are, just, you know, bite the bullet and do it because you'll be surprised at what you can do. That's really beautifully said. I, <laughs> Thanks. I, I wish I had said it. And I'm really sad that I was yeah. quoting Nike. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually had been looking at going back to school for maybe four or five years before I finally got the gumption to, uh, to do it. And, you know, as I've mentioned, I'm an older lady. And uh, I found, you know, within the first week that all the things I was afraid of, you know, exposing my technical ignorance before people much younger, that's a lot of baloney. I shouldn't have worried about that. Uh, apparently, that's part of my charm. I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I think yes. it's really natural, though, to have those those worries. So Jane became known as Jane the Librarian yes. in the class. <laughs> 
and the person to go to for APA citation, which is my <laughs> biggest weakness. No. I still struggle no, with that. You all mastered the time. it. Is there anything else that you want to share about this experience so far? It's so it's so worthwhile. Like I I, I really love this uh, MACT program mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Alberta, and I'd, I'd like to you know mention just the the quality of instruction that we're that we're receiving. Um, you know, they're so diverse in skills and, and interest and expertise. But, you know, um, they're all very passionate about what it is that they're teaching. They all have an eye to the future. I get the sense they want us to succeed. Yeah. They're interested in how we're doing, how we're mm-hmm. applying what we're learning. Absolutely. I get that oh, sense, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they really, they'll do everything they can to help us succeed short of doing the work for us, you know what I mean? But part of that, again, is getting to know us, I think, during the Spring Institute and kind of understanding each of the students and their Mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses and and what have you. Like, I feel like they really care, you know? Me too. Great. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being here, for kicking off this podcast journey with me, and just for making my Spring Institute such a great experience. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Katrina. That's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at schoolagainpod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. Back to School Again was recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio, located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homeland of First Nations and Métis peoples. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Norquest College, for supporting the show and to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.